Welcome to Building Great Sales Teams, a show dedicated to making sales teams tick, tick, boom. I didn't have a playbook starting out. I had to learn everything the hard way. The good news is you don't have to. Great sales teams are not recruited. They are built block by block. Let's get to work. Solar economy just is pandemonium. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. We had 60 something demos book while we were there. Yeah. To give you perspective, we usually will have like 30 a week. So uh-huh. we had 60 book while we're there. And then another like 60 or 70 online. So, you know, it's quadruple or more than what we're used to. And then mm-hmm. opt, like, even though people have to book at least a week out, it's, we had a record day for demos yesterday. We had a record day for sales. So yeah, it's fun. It's just good, steady growth. Um, mm-hmm. Are the conversion rates holding that y'all normally have off the demos? Y'all yeah. track all that or? Yeah, so far, especially just them sitting down and meeting with us because, you know, we'll always have 20, 30% no show, but everybody's meeting with us because they actually met us at the event. So they're all sitting mm-hmm. down. It's pretty fun. Yeah, you you have that in-person interaction first and then that kind of increases <laughs> your conversion rate in general, right? I just saw I just saw this pretty fun. Well, I won't share my script unless you want me to, but it was like, we have a guy, a picture of this guy who's on a demo and the and guy on my team says, it's always nice when you join a demo and the guy's already wearing your swag. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because they're at the show and he got a hat, which is, I've never, I'm like, how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. Like, so this guy's wearing- Show the, yeah. show the yeah. picture, yeah. Show it, yeah. I, I gave you an option to share it. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, there's- Nice. You're in the demo and he's already wearing this. Yeah, he's like starting off with like wearing one of our hats. So it's it's fun when people are awesome. Yeah. And yeah, SolarCon was incredible. I'm so happy that I mean for our first show, I mean blew me away, not just saying that, blew Mm -hmm. me how much it how effective it was. And the thing I love the most is we haven't had our industry is still young, and I don't think people realize that. We have Solar Power International, aka SBI. That is where mm-hmm. all the sales guys don't even know that exists. At its peak, yeah. 20,000 people go into this event. I mean, it's usually in Anaheim or uh, Las Vegas. Last year, it was supposed mm-hmm. to be in, uh, in New Orleans. And the, the flood they had with the storm and COVID uh, yeah. again. So, But only installers go to that. And then the sales guys, they don't get to see all the manufacturers and everything. And then, then you have the other extreme of like door-to-door con, Knockstar to... And so mm-hmm. again, you don't have the installers, they're just sales. And so this was fun to see both groups finally have a convention where they were mixed. And so it was really fun for me to get to see, yeah. I work with both sides and get to see both sides. And we even had some manufacturers there, right? Like we had, um, we had SunPower, we had um, stores, you know, and so that'll, yeah. it'll be fun to watch that thing grow. And I bet it will be triple next year because mm-hmm. it's, it was pretty fun. So I, I know all the vendors, Got a lot out of it. I know the 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 you the everybody that went to it got a, a really huge value out of it. So incredible event for Quatiba. Um, we I don't I mean we're booked out for weeks, so it was really fun. No, that's great, and that's the perfect place for y'all to be. I think it's going to be a huge staple in y'all's y'all's business moving forward. So, yeah. all right, guys, we got uh, Jess Phillips. Uh, what's your official title? I don't even know. I've always just called you the a partner in Quatiba. Yeah, chief sales officer. Yep. 
chief sales officer with Quativa. Um, so we we signed on with you guys, what was it, about six to eight months ago, something like that? Yeah. And you you guys were somewhat early in, mm-hmm. in the process, you know what I mean? So we kind of got to got to see you guys grow and kind of adapt and fix things within the system and everything. So, you know, we've had a, a very fluid relationship from that. And, um, you know, one, one of my, my favorite things about you guys is that immediately, you know, we asked for help and you guys were right there with it, you know, cause you're all from the industry. So that's one of the things that I noticed right away was we had these resources, whether it be you for sales, Lisa for financing, um, that we were able to use right away to educate our guys. And, uh, that's, that's huge in any type of relationship and, and especially like in a sales organization where you, you have these support structures in place for them to be from the business. It, it, it helps a lot. So I guess let's, let's kick it off with you introducing yourself and kind of give us your history a little bit and how yeah. you got to Quativa. Yeah. I've been doing SOAR for 13 years, started in 2010. Um, I'd done a little bit of door-to-door stuff before that, learned from some of the best in the industry and, mm-hmm. and um, went to corporate America for four years, had the rough edges taken off me there. And then uh, working for a big fortune 50 company, got to meet my business partner who was an executive there. And we started a SOAR company in 2010. Like probably a lot of you guys listening or getting started in the industry, just Mm-hmm. knock some doors to get it started. It didn't have financing, didn't have, I mean, microinverters, like the panel we were selling was a 185 watt panel. So wow. uh, nobody had it on their roof. We were in-, in What year was that? 2010. Okay. Yeah, that was early, early, early. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then uh, it, we've seen a lot change, right? So we built that company, started doing, at its peak, we were doing hundreds of residential sales and installs per month in four different states, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, Denver, uh, Colorado. And then mm. we started to get into some pretty big commercial stuff, built projects like these office buildings with this one actually won an award for construction. And a uh, big one was Rio Tinto Stadium, which is the pro soccer team, uh, Real Salt Lake Stadium in, in Utah. And then yeah. so some fun pictures here of, of that project two megawatts. It's the fourth largest pro sports venue in America with solar. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. fun. that was 2015. You know, we got to flip the switch on that with the CEO of our utility company showed up and the, wow. the owner of the team. So that was a fun, fun project. The biggest one that we did though was Soleil Lofts. Soleil means uh, the sun in French and uh, fun project, 600 batteries and 5.3 megawatts of Solaria solar panels. So um, it's an off-grid apartment complex. It can run off-grid, but what makes it extra unique is that it has 600 of these Sonin batteries in the living room of 600 apartments. And mm-hmm. the utility actually buys power from, <clears throat> from the apartment complex during peak times at five o'clock, six o'clock at night. They'll drain those batteries and distribute that power out to the grid and they'll pay the apartment owner, the guy that built these projects, Mm -hmm. uh, a premium for that power. And so um, there's the actual project as we built it. That's another um, indoor soccer stadium right behind it, the red building that we put solar on. Wow. That's 1.3 megawatts on the roof of, so it gives you a perspective. That red roof is 1.3 megawatts Mm -hmm. and there's uh, 5.3 megawatts throughout the community between the carports and roof. So Oh, wow. About four, you can look at that red roof and there's about four times more solar in that community. Now, these are higher wattage panels too. They're Solaria 435s, mm-hmm. but yeah, really fun yeah. projects. I uh, learned a lot those 10 years. And then um, 
we basically sold it when COVID hit. We had it really, we sold residential just before COVID hit. And then mm-hmm. uh, we were, we had a lot of commercial contracts and a lot of those froze up and, and canceled when COVID hit. So we ended up yeah. moving on from the business. And I saw Quativa about two years ago, actually right now. And um, we launched publicly basically about a year ago, you know, launched California, Arizona, Texas, Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's been a wild ride to see, you know, the first year, just trying to get it ready, trying to get the app to a place where people can actually sell. And um, yeah. It took longer than you always expect. The idea has been around for four years. There's been four years of seven figures invested into building it to where it's at. And mm-hmm. now um, today, I mean, we're in um, we're in 15 states right now. Um, um, two months ago, we were in six. Mm-hmm. And in another month, we'll be in 30 total. Um, and then we'll we'll take a break for probably the rest of the year. And uh, well, actually, we'll keep adding a few more, um, but some smaller, you know, ones that aren't as big, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe like the Wyoming's and Idaho's will come on board in Q3. Um, yeah. Northeast will be next year. So we're going to have about 30 states here um, in the next 30 days. And uh, so it's fun to see us expand geographically. We got our series mm-hmm. funding in October. Um, so that's really exciting. So we're able to put more money into developing the app, expanding our, our footprint. Um, and so, yeah, what Quativa does, right, the specialty is a technology platform that has everything in place for you to sell solar. And then we're going to drive the performance of getting it installed on your behalf. So our sales dealers have red lines with us and we go drive the performance with all our installed partners because we pick small and medium businesses, you know, to mm-hmm. be our partners. So they're nimble, they communicate well. And uh, we have a big stick and a big carrot with, with how many jobs we have to offer our partners. So our average install time right now is 27 days across all markets. And because of how we built the structure and how we model it, it puts us in a unique position to be able to, to, to do that for our partners. So the goal is if you're selling solar, Quativa makes it easy to sell it through our app and then mm-hmm. take care of the project management installation so you can just focus on generating revenue. So that's okay. even my background. So let me unwrap some of that because not all the listeners that I have are in solar. Some of them are in construction, you know, other small businesses, they're hiring their first salesperson. Right. And so uh, let me back up and unwrap that a little bit. So you started a, a solar company with your partner back in 2010. Is that correct? And so, um, so you were in solar for eight years before you got to Quatiba. That about right. Uh, 10, 10. Yeah. Okay. 10 years. And so, um, in that time, you built out a residential division, you built out a commercial division, but the commercial division was kind of like, you know, you guys were kind of like the Michael Jordan's solar and commercial, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, y'all, you, you won an award for one of those, uh, for that uh, that uh, apartment complex community you were talking about, right? What was that award? Um, it's called Utility Project of the Year. Um, okay. Screen, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were in the area, I would say, yeah, we definitely did some groundbreaking stuff. We had some incredible people on our team. So how did you go from being, you know, what I'm assuming was, okay, so you were sales centric first working in door to door, and then you got into the corporate world. Right. And so do you feel like those two experiences kind of meshed together when you opened up your own business and you were able to kind of bring that experience together? Yeah, there's the project too. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, the way I'd say it is um, there was an interview in 2017. We were finalists for Entrepreneur of the Year. 
and you get mm-hmm. interviewed for that. And like, Hey, you know, I remember getting those questions and it was really fun to kind of hear what your answers are going to be on the spot for yourself. Yeah. One of the questions was like, Hey, in your history, what was one of the things that was most impactful for you to, to be where you're at? And it was funny because mm-hmm. it was without even, I mean, done a lot of different jobs, worked at an amusement park at 14 and, you mm-hmm. know, for guys that know Utah and uh, all kinds of stuff, but it was not even close. The, the answer was knocking doors, you know, like, yeah was the most impactful thing in my career. And it will always be that. Even if I get asked that question 10 years from now, I'm not going to say, oh, when I was a CEO of my own company. No, right. it still will be what I learned knocking doors was the most impactful. Um, mm-hmm. Communication skills, dealing with rejection. Even the best door-to-door guys getting rejected most of the time. So mm-hmm. uh, if, you're really, if you're really good, you're still losing more than half the time. It's like based the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like Numbers baseball. are the numbers. If you're batting, you know, if you're at 30%, like you're, you're a all-star, you know? So, um, so I, I learned the most doing that. I was fortunate to, uh, the one year I did it, like the summer sales program was mm-hmm. in uh, Miami, Florida, and it was 2008, a weird year to be selling and that the economy crashed that year. And yeah, uh, I didn't even know what the word economy meant. I was 22, right? just got married and had a baby and all that. So it was scary, but so you weren't uh, using that excuse along with everybody else. I didn't even know. Because you I, didn't have it. <laughs> but it's yeah. fun because my mentor, my manager that is is the Michael Jordan of door-to-door sales. His name's Adam Shantz. Mm-hmm. Owns all their mm-hmm. security, a huge, huge company now. And so I got to learn from the best along the way. It's one of the things I've been fortunate of. And ironically, they're, they're actually, I'm actually driving there after this to go uh, talk to his company. They're actually going to, we're talking about using Quatiba. We just met him at SolarCon. So beautiful on how things come full circle, but absolutely the most impactful thing was, was door to door, but there's a lot of, you don't learn some of the other things you need to learn. So going to corporate America really helped me like learn how to interview people the right way. Like the laws around certain things, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, just how to, you know, some of the formalities you need to have before you own a business. Um, and so I think one extreme door to door and another extreme working in corporate America I, I yeah. without those two experiences, I wouldn't have had a chance in running a company. Cause when we started that company, I mean, I think our ceiling was like, we might have 15 employees and hopefully we can take a Friday off every once in a while and yeah. have enough money to buy a nice car and live in a nice house. Like it wasn't, it wasn't anything more than that. And the next thing we knew there's 260 employees and uh $300,000 weekly payroll and all kinds of crazy stuff that comes out. So yeah, luckily we had so, some incredible- yeah, in order to scale like that, I mean, out of those, you said 260 employees? Yeah. Uh, how many were sales-centric? We had about a dozen sales reps in each state, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. a little less, sometimes a little bit more. So you're looking at, you know, about 40 or so. Okay, yeah. so you, you scaled up to 40 sales reps at one point, and then what was the residential and commercial mix, or were you selling the commercial? Yeah, commercial, a lot more development. We had a team of three guys that were commercial sales or development. Okay. Um, and then uh, a lot of project support for residential, commercial, about 40 mm-hmm. residential, you know, three to five commercial dedicated and okay. uh, install crews. You know, we were probably between 12 and 16 install crews at any given time. Gotcha. And on the residential team, so you got up to about 35 to 37, it sounds like. Um, and then in different states, so you had basically these these teams uh, separated by location, right? How did you structure those teams? Yeah, great question. Um, we would have a leader that lived there for sure. 
that was there every day okay. over the sales team. And then we okay. had a leader over the operations slash installation. And so those two were in charge of that market. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then they would report to a leader, one leader that was at headquarters in Salt Lake. Who, and that okay. leader would be over all of residential sales. And there'd be a leader over all of operations for all four markets. So that's how we structured that. Um, mm -hmm. That included operations, both internal support staff, you know, permitting, design, things like that, and also the construction crews. Yeah. Our, our crews were usually three to four man crews. Mm -hmm. And on the, uh, the, the sales side, in terms of the, the sales team, the way that leader led the sales team, how, how was it kind of structured there in terms of like, did y'all meet every day? Was it meet out in, in territory or was it meet in the office? Was there an office? Yeah, I definitely had a building for each of them. Um, uh -huh. Try to create a good work environment where they can have a culture and get together. Um, let's think, especially with that eternal battle of sales and operations, it's important they work in the yep. same building. They constantly yep. see each other and feel each other and get to hear the conversations that each side has to deal with. Because that operation guy, when he his brain, when it hears the conversations the sales guy has to have, he cringes. He doesn't want to ever do that. And he learns right. respects that differently and vice versa. So, um, and so I think it's huge for those guys to have uh, a place they can see each other work and see each other's jobs and what they're like. Um, Just for yeah. some context, for sure. For those two things to work together. For, and then you asked, like, as far as meetings and stuff, like, uh, always had like a Monday meeting, you know, mm -hmm. the sales team would do. And then sometimes they'd have like some door knock, you know, there'd be some door knockers, some setters, some markets had two guys, some had seven or eight. And they took right. kind of an extra meeting after or later in the week. Um, okay. And then uh, I would travel to those markets usually once a quarter, sometimes mm -hmm. twice, twice a quarter and, and go visit them and just have a, have a bigger meeting and just tell them about, you know, future things that are coming and, and just answer, you know, Q and A and just spend time with them and um, mm -hmm. on the front lines and see what they're dealing with and, and um, connect with, with them and build relationships. So for the, the people listening that have those bigger teams in multiple markets, when, when you did come into that market and you had a meeting, would you kind of, did you have a structure in place or was it more fluid, reactive kind of thing where you, yeah, you address the issues in that market at the time? Typically go up there with a plan. Um, there'd be like maybe a new solar panel or a new product that's coming. Um, that we're going to be talking about um, some sort of change upgrades to our sales presentation. So I typically came with something visual that they were going to see on the projector or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes there was more of that. Sometimes there was less of that. Um, so I, I usually came and had some things to definitely talk about, which is what triggered me to usually come up there is something mm -hmm. that we're trying to improve and get better at. And I wanted to show them what's coming, get them on board, um, help them see what we saw. Hey, this is why we're going to be using this inverter or this panel now. <clears throat> so um, typically I had something like that. And then, yeah, I love to just open up to do Q&A. I think that's, uh, there's two things I would say that are really valuable that I found with those type of meetings when you're leading teams. Mm -hmm. Obviously Q&A, you, you, you can get it. Like you get to hear the type of things they have questions about, helps you see like where their head's really at where their culture is at, where the training is lacking, you know, the questions they ask. I mean, I just did a couple interviews for new hires and I actually like to have them ask me more questions than like, I get so much out of just hearing the questions they have that I can see what type of person they are and what they're, who they are. So I love that. Yeah. Um, one, one best practice that I found over the years, that's 
when I've shared it with others that have really enjoyed it is I always end every group meeting with what we call round table. And mm -hmm. it's where we literally just stand up because if people are standing, they'll talk, they'll be yeah. more uh, concise. Um, mm -hmm. so I might need to stand up here in a second, but um, have everybody stand up. Hey, 30 seconds, you go around the room and everybody gets a voice. And it's basically like, shout out a team member, a win you had. Hey, I closed this deal yesterday. Shout out to Sean. He trained me last week on this thing and it helped me close the deal. Or, hey, I'm really excited about the new features. You just told us out of this new panel. So it gives everybody a voice to speak something that's generally positive. And um, we're all standing in the circle at the end and we just kind of creates that really fun, good vibes. It's kind of cheesy, but it, it gives the, uh, the warm fuzzies a little bit. And again, it reinforces a culture of positivity and, um, you know, connection and working together to help each other out. So um, everybody usually enjoys that quite a bit. And then as a leader, it's super valuable because you get to see how you left them and, and how, you know, where their heads are really at. Right. And typically the power of that end roundtable meeting tells you how you did and how, you know, where they're at, where you're leaving them. So um, my, one of my favorite parts about business was usually those roundtables, whether a big kickoff meetings all the way down to the, the, the weekly meetings and getting to hear people's success stories and, you know, what's on their mind and, and how their teammates are helping them is, is a really fun way to enhance your culture and, and learn what's going on. Nice. And I think, I feel like it opens up the <laughs> transparency a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, and as each of them are a little more vulnerable or transparent then the team becomes a lot more cohesive and you kind of leave them in that space where, Hey, it's okay to share your frustrations about the position that maybe the person right next to you created, you know, I'm reading uh, powerful right now. And I can't remember the author's author's name, but she's the, uh, she's the culture uh, chief culture officer over at Netflix. And um, so she talks about, you know, after, going through a lot of the principles that she has she also talks about transparency and how like almost brutal transparency once you get through that initial uncomfortableness of it uh because every some of the things are a shock that you're bringing up or you know don't shed good light once you start doing that then you do it at a micro level consistently and the, the team up the team gets to the goal a lot faster right because they're already sharing, well, that's not working. What you're doing right there is, is not working in this aspect. And they share it right away and they're not afraid of it anymore. And they don't let it build up to a much bigger problem later on. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so um, have you found that you've taken that kind of round table deal to Quativa now? Because you guys are more operation centric, I would assume now. Yeah, we're remote. We're doing Zoom. So I'm shocked at how we still have been able to create a great culture even over remote. And we mm -hmm. do it at the end of our town hall. We call it now weekly meeting and uh, we call it shout outs just to kind of help push it in a certain direction. But mm -hmm. I love what you said about, yeah, it'll be with me forever. I'll always do it that way. Um, I think it also helps everybody feel like they got a voice, you know, and uh, yeah. it forces some of the people that never say anything in the meetings to actually say something. And they, it's funny because they usually have some great stuff to say. And um, yeah. so it's really fun, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, go ahead. So the, the, the term's a little overused now, right? But um, the term behind mastermind. Um, so obviously we both attend a lot of mastermind setting type deals, right? And uh, uh, it's, it's always funny to see when they open it up, they're like, okay, tell me about some problems you're having in your business. And nobody wants to talk. And then finally one person starts it 
Yeah. And, and theirs is very general and it, it's not vulnerable. Right. And then by like the sixth person that shares, it's like completely vulnerable. Like I'm having problems in my marriage my business is taking over my marriage. And, and now we're getting to the real shit, you know? So <laughs> I, I feel like the same thing happens in those group settings. And uh, I'm doing the same thing on my, on my uh, uh, rock calls right now, which is the weekly calls. We work under the EOS system. And so every week we have that, that call and we go over our rocks, we go over our tasks and um, our uh, ID, IDS and all that. You started that at Quantina, yeah. Nice, yeah. It, it's a really good system, especially if you're a, a sales org and you've never really done operational type stuff and you're having to, because now you're recruiting and you're hiring, and, you know, you, you, you've got systems in place. Well, that once a week meeting for the ops side of your business to come together is huge. But anyways, um, so what is kind of next for you? You know what I mean? In terms of Quativa. Well, I do want to say, I, I do want to shout you guys out big time though, because I feel like now that you guys are doing it, there's a, a lot of other ones popping up now <laughs> trying to do the same thing but you guys are kind of ahead of the curve on that. Um, but it was definitely very needed because there is a lot of sales orgs out there that have done nothing but sell. And the operations piece is a whole nother animal. You know, it's like, you've got, you know, a visionary and integrator, but a sales org is the visionary. And, you know, in this case, Quatif is the integrator, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically making all that stuff happen on the back end, And it, it really does take, a lot off of our, you know, our solar division, you know, we have so many moving pieces on that and it kind of brings them all together and streamlines them and everything. Um, I guess the, the question is, how did you go from kind of eating what you kill to being a, in a support position with the company? I guess, how did they sell you on that? You know, cause Quativa would kind of recruited you, right. Or yeah, we, we met at the same, you know, both ways, really, it just, mm -hmm. just seemed meant to be, you know, like a lot of things um, in life. And um, yeah, so going from my own business to uh, what I do now, it's been a, a huge, I, I love it. Um, I feel like it's put me in my natural position to like more focused on partnerships and, the, mm -hmm. and building teams and training and things relationships I, yeah the, working on just the things that i you know when you're a ceo or you start a business you you learn to do everything you have to at some point mm -hmm. but being getting to the point where you finally realize like uh, i was doing some executive coaching stuff the last couple of years that i was i was there and he helped me realize like you don't have even as a ceo you don't have to be everything you don't have to be the expert on the financials or anything you don't you have people to do that so what happens is I think as a business owner, you try to show that you can do it all. Mm -hmm. And then eventually what happens is you water down your biggest strengths and you're not doing them as much. So I feel like with what I was able to do here is just focus on what I like doing the most. And that's a lot of times what you're best at anyway. So building mm -hmm. the partnerships um, is what, it, that's really all I did well at before was that's why we got these big projects is I just put the right people together and you have people that are just absolutely super smart that, that do their mm -hmm. role really well and know how to actually do all this stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's, I get to focus more on what I like to do and what my strengths are um, and still have a lot of fun building a company and have input on all parts of the business. Um, and so that's been good for me. Um, you know, I love it. I think the trust that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to transition from owning your own business to not completely, like I think, 
um, being the only person that calls the shots. It's more about, is that just your ego or is that really that important? Because I think you can find the right partners, the right people to work for that will still give you the freedom and the creativity. Cause I think what, where owning your own business is unhealthy is when it's about your ego and I got to be my own boss. I mean, right. I, I loved having a business partner. I love having somebody I get to report to in a way and say, look what I, look what's happening. This is awesome. Or yeah, yeah. on this, like I want someone to be accountable to. And I think people think the word accountable is always a negative word. It's, it can be a, it's not fun when you have a bunch of success and there's nobody sitting next to you and you don't have to share it with. So, yeah. so I really enjoy the accountability. I really enjoy the people I work with. Um, I don't miss run owning the own, the business myself or, or with a partner completely. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, I like building. I think most of us, when we're, when our egos in check, what, why we like our own running our own business is more about building something versus like being my own boss. And I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. It's like, well, if you're in a place like that, you're just in the wrong, the wrong place. I've, I've, I travel for work a lot. Dallin, my CEO has never one time told me, Hey, you need to go here or there. I just, Hey, it's time for me to go to this market. I'm going like, yeah. When you have a certain level of trust and, and all that, like the best thing you can do as an employer, if you do own your own business is mm-hmm. give them the trust and the flexibility to go create. As soon as you stifle that creativity, like you're going to miss out on, you know, what, what they, what they really can do and you're going to water it down. So I think most of us, it's about building and I'm definitely in a position where I get to still build and be mm-hmm. creative and uh, be trusted that way. So in a lot of ways, it's, it's better. I mean, it's better for me financially. I feel more stable uh, as a business owner, I think people can relate. You've, there's days where you think yeah. you've made it and you can go look at Lamborghinis and literally a week later, you're like, cancel the vacation. We're, we're screwed. Yeah. We've got to make payroll. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a hard thing. So in every way it's been better for me. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, not saying I'm not done, you know, in the future, maybe open a business again or whatever, but, um, really, really genuinely enjoy the role because I get to be creative. I get to build. And I think it at, at our heart, that's really what we want the most. And in some ways owning your business doesn't put you in a position to be able to just build. Sometimes you get, wow. you just got to hit this, you got to do that. So, you know, yeah. having capital and having somebody else focused on that stuff is, is really helpful to have good teammates that help you get a focus on the parts that you enjoy. Yeah. And that's the deal. When you have capital, you get to build it the way you want it. And when you don't have capital, you have to cut corners and you have to do it the way the money wants it. You know what I'm saying? Because if the money runs out, the money is your boss. You know what I mean? The money runs out, then then the business isn't there anymore. Uh, I think you hit on a lot of things that, uh, especially for my guys that are in their 20s that are listening to this need to hear, you know, which is having your business card say owner on it. And I know we don't use business cards anymore, but having your business card say owner on it shouldn't be the only reason you want to start your own business or to continue to run your own business and not partner up or not, you know, cause there's guys that are running businesses out there that maybe do half a million dollars a year that could have so much more impact and have such better relationships and so much more purpose uh, in a business that's doing $20 million a year, but they're the, you know, VP of sales or something like that, you know, or, they're the COO, you know, um, that, that fit better into that business. And, and so what we miss out on oftentimes is, you know, this huge thing that can have an amazing impact because, you know, our ego gets in the way and we want that owner. And then the same thing happens in reverse. If you have a sales team, you know, 
first of all, like if you're recruiting the right people, they're going to be entrepreneurial minded, right? So what's going to happen in that process at some point, they're going to get to a point where they're like, oh, well, I can just do this myself, you know? And if you, and like you said earlier, if you haven't given them that, that freedom of creativity and that freedom to go and build and that freedom to go and have impact uh, with their team, and you've tried to like manage their position, then they're, they are, they're going to go and build their own thing. So one of the, one of the blessings that I recognize early on is that I didn't want to do other people's job for them. So I put them in the position, even if they weren't quite qualified for it yet. And I let them figure it out and then led them as much as I could, because I was figuring it out myself in my position. And it was only one notch above theirs. Right. And so as I let that happen, of course, people are going to take advantage and you're going to have to fire fast, but you have to put people in roles that they can grow into and then let them grow into it, let them fail, you know what I mean? And support them along the way, lead them as much as you can without micromanaging them. And you're going to build this uh, amazing thing that has actual impact, you know? And so I think another thing that you hit on was the relationships that you have with uh, everybody at Quativa and some of those relationships you had before you got into the business. And, uh, you know, you came with a reputation as well having just a uh, soldier solar business. Um, and as you get older, that becomes more important, you know, the relationship and the purpose behind the relationship than the actual numbers or the dollars per year, or whatever the case is. So I really want my guys that are listening to this in your twenties to hear that piece and everything that you said and make, you know, all those points and everything. So I'm kind of curious as we, we kind of wrap up here, um, because I just spoke to uh, Bennett Maxwell and he told me, kind of walked me through the, the sale of his business and why it was even sellable, right? Because typically sales orgs, you know, aren't really sellable, you know, because if the leader in the company leaves, typically what you see is things fall apart. The only time you can really sell is to another company that's doing the same thing. And they're more trying to get market share, you know, they're just absorbing you, you know what I mean? And so uh, obviously y'all were on the operations end too, you know? So what were you say, what would you say were some of the things you did to prepare yourself for that exit? And, I, and I'm guessing because COVID hit, it came a lot faster than you thought it would, right? But obviously y'all were preparing yourself for that exit along the way. I, I have to believe in order to be sellable like that. Yeah, it's quite a story. I mean, the, just to be clear too, like, there wasn't a successful exit when COVID hit. Um, mm -hmm. We had $130 million in commercial contracts just freeze or cancel in a week. And uh -huh. so our, we had brought on an investor and he just said, you know, I'm tired. I'm done. Um, yeah. We had enough money that didn't matter to him, but it was 10 yeah. years of our life. So it, it wasn't successful, but I did definitely um, get to learn a lot about the process because we actually had a deal on the table and we're ready to sign it to restructure gotcha. our business. And then, and then the two years before that, we got really close to doing a really big transaction uh, when we were a little bit different company. So mm -hmm. definitely been through the process a lot um, with a lot of um, equity partners and, and equity firms. So, you know, as far as prepping for that, I would just say um, I'm a big believer that if that's your only goal in mind and that's all you're thinking about, it's mm -hmm. just like, when you finally learn, and some people don't learn this till later, if you're only focused on making money, mm -hmm. it just seems, it's just such a, like, go focus on something much bigger than that. And the money is just a byproduct. 
And I believe right. that's the same with building a business is like, go build a business as if you're building it for, you're going to be there for your life. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you have that focus, you'll, you'll get to that other thing you want or, you know, mm-hmm. the option of it a lot quicker. I feel like when we were at our best, that's where our mindset was. And then when mm-hmm. I started to start getting really focused on an exit and stuff, you start thinking differently. And I guess the best way to say it is you start serving another group or another thing. So I always say you have your customers, yeah, like, right. You got to take care of, you take care of customers. Like first of all, you have your, your employees. If you take care of your employees, they'll take care of the customers. So you right. have, you have the business you got to feed, make sure the business is healthy. You got your employees. You got to make sure they're taken care of and your customers. When you start bringing in investors or thinking about selling, now you've got a fourth thing to satisfy. And it's like, that's a lot of different things you're trying to satisfy. And sometimes they conflict with the other. So mm-hmm. just like in your personal life, it's like, you got your, your wife, you got your job, you got like, and if you try to bring on too much, eventually you can't do it all. And you start, right. you start one of them is going to get, is going to fail. And if, if, if you don't take care of your customers and your employees, because you're so worried about this thing over here, you won't have a mm-hmm. business that's viable that will sell. So really focus in on your team and taking care of the customers and the, the financials will show up. And then when the financials are healthy, the, the investors will, will be there. So absolutely working with the, I think if it's your first time doing it, there's a lot of really good firms. I, I did this and I'd recommend it that will consult you. They usually mm-hmm. are going to charge you about a 3% fee. So if you sell your company for $10 million, like big deal, right? They're going to help you sell it for way more than their fee. It's just like in real estate with a realtor, mm-hmm. but, but way more valuable with this because they're also going to bring buyers. Um, they're also going to have a reputation with buyers that they're not going to represent a company that's, that's crappy or that after they get under the hood and look at your mm-hmm. business, it's going to be, look, make them look bad. It's just like if a realtor sells you a house, that's complete crap. They're going to look, they're going to get a bad reputation. They're going to be out of business pretty quickly. So I yeah. absolutely think you want to be represented. You never want to do that on your own. And then they'll come into your business and you tell them, Hey, I'm thinking about selling in a year or two. What, if you mm-hmm. are thinking of selling, you want to definitely do at least a year head start and they'll come in and tell you, okay, here's where you need to clean this up. Just like a realtor, they're going to come through your house, say, paint this, do that. Yeah. Don't even worry about the, the garage. Don't worry about that. Like, they're going to tell you where it doesn't matter yeah. to tune up your business and where it does. Um, but you can absolutely sell a, a sales organization for money. There's, there's plenty mm-hmm. of companies to do it. What you're looking for is, like you said, it's hard if it's just because one guy is a great leader. You want right. to do a system that produces leaders that, that attracts sales reps so that if mm-hmm. they all left, you can show a system of, yeah, you know, we had this whole team of 30 guys and there's, you know, we retained this many, but look how many new ones we, we can train and attract new ones and get them selling. Mm-hmm. This so if you can build a successful system, I mean, sales brings revenue. So there's a value in that, but you, you, you got to do it after building an actual system. And a lot of guys just like, cool, I'm going to wake up Monday morning, go in the office, uh, shoot from the hip and do a bunch of training and then go get it guys. You got to build a real brand, a real system where you're able to show a system to recruit a system to train a system to, to have them success, have them, you know, sell successfully. And if you build a successful sales engine or a, um, you know, reliable revenue engine, Mm -hmm. very valuable to a company. You can build a reliable revenue engine. That's what you're trying to build. Amazing. So just to summarize, and then we can wrap up. Um, The first thing is 
don't worry about the exit, right? Focus on your business, focus on your, your employees, which are your, your, your customers as the owner of the business. Right. And I, I love uh, what Gary B says about that. He's like, I work, it, it always trips me out how many people think that their employees work for them. No, you work for the, your employees and then they produce the product and the service to the customer and fulfillment. And so that's huge. Basically keep your head down and and do the work and then they're what's going to happen is someone's going to notice and they're going to approach you right yep. and then if you do if you do want to go the more formal route prepare for it a year ahead of time and mm-hmm. and 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 hire help right that's the biggest Absolutely. thing right there so hey jess i really appreciate you taking the time out this yeah, has man. been a very compact but uh insightful conversation i think uh, the listeners are going to get a lot from if they want to reach out to you whether it's about Plativa or just have questions for you or anything like that uh where where would they do that at uh instagram phillips.jess p-h-i-l-l-i-p-s and then dot jess like jesse just uh, j-e-s-s and then quativa.com q-u-a-t-i-v-a awesome fantastic again uh thanks for coming on to the show uh building great sales teams and let's get building awesome doug thanks for letting me on thanks so much for tuning into this episode of building great sales teams be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Remember, great sales teams are not recruited. They are built block by block. Until next time.